Hey everybody, we are super pleased to announce our new sponsor, Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. The goal? Power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. And the best part? Marvel Strike Force just reached its six-year anniversary, which means free stuff when you sign up via our unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. Just complete each event, and you'll receive special awards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and every week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. If we have received a unique promo code for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Again, anybody uses that code, it is unique for all new users. Check it out. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. And the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And this is episode 349 from Book to Board Doom. We'd like to thank all of our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode and the spice melange. The spice, Anthony. The spice. It's the way in which we podcast out to the vastness of the universe, not using computers. <laughs> No one knew that until now, but now it's true. It's known. Well, now they're going to come for us, man. What are you doing? Damn it. (laughs) (laughs) The podcast must flow. And all of the other kind of referential kind of jokes and things as we desperately follow the algorithm. But in this case, in fact, Anthony, we are devoted, passionate fans of the book Dune. Are we not? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I've somehow read this monstrosity tome two and a half times which i know some people out there are like i've read it 12 times i'm like but i don't read things multiple times so i'm proud of myself and you should be proud of me too um <laughs> no, <All right. laughs> no it, it's amazing and uh for whatever reason over the years people keep trying to adapt it build it do something with it games movies comics and they struggle so yeah but you know with a movie coming out that by all accounts is 
better than what we've seen in the past. Um, why not look at the games? Because some of them are also better than what we've seen in the past. Yeah, I think the popular comment that most people make about Dune and a lot of other epic series is that they're unfilmable. And you know what? That may be true. But they are they ungameable, Anthony? Can you not make <laughs> a game based upon the book that holds the themes, holds the passion, the realities, the, the history, the lore, um, all the wonderment that's you know contained in Dune? So we are going to talk about everything Dune. If you have not read the book or not seen the movie, we're not going to get into any kind of crazy spoilers. So we want you to experience, especially the new movie, uh, I, I think this is, I've seen it, Anthony has not seen it yet, and I like it a lot. I act, I'm actually a big fan of this movie. There's, there's so much to like about it, the visuals, the music, you know, it's part one of two, so hopefully they get part two based upon everyone watching it. If you are not a big fan of Dune, stick with us, because nonetheless, you're going to get a great list of games that you might want to get to the table. So, in fact, the games itself might impart enough of the, you know, world-famous book series that you might actually, after playing the games, want to watch the movie or especially read the books. And it's not just one book. There's a lot of books. It's it's pretty it's a pretty vast vast universe. I think. Try to think. I mean, Anthony, you're you're really our our you know big book reader here. Is this the most vast of all universe right like the history like we're talking millennial right many 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 yeah maybe yeah i I guess i don't know you know obviously you don't have a sense of scale and what everything's done but yeah herbert was like yeah my books are gonna cover thousands and thousands of years so it's you're like okay (laughs) um which is why we still until recently, continue to get Dune books and sequels sure. from Hassan and other people because there's so much space in between to fill out, right? Sure. So it's it's a fascinating story, and there's so much to talk about, and that will be our feature review, along with all of the amazing games. So stick with us. That's going to be a lot of fun. But Anthony, before we get into all that kind of Dune stuff, we want to talk about, obviously, what's going on with all of our listeners. And I guess in this case... There isn't a question of the week, but in fact, there's something far more important. Yes, yes. This is important, everybody. So we do this every year when we do our top 20 listener games of all time. Mm -hmm. And if you remember, if you've done this in the past, it's very simple. All that we ask you to do is fill out a very quick form with your top 10 games. That's it. In any particular order. Uh, if you throw your email address in there with it, you're also entered into a contest to win one of the games on the final list of 20. That's all you have to do. Super, super simple. Go to Facebook. It's pinned at the very top. Click that link. Mm -hmm. Fill out the form. Take you like, I mean, it would take me two minutes because I already know my top 10, but even if you have to look it up, maybe five minutes. It takes no time at all and you're entered. But super important on top of that is that it helps us make our list because we it use does. the games that you tell us, you know, and ideally a couple hundred people give us a lot of games that we can work with and we build a list and these are our top, you know, 20 games. If you want to be represented in that top 20, if you, if you listen to it every year and you're like, man, what are the games I like? Well, did you fill out the form? Cause if you didn't <laughs> fill out the form, then we don't know what games you like. <laughs> so get in there, fill that out. You get in for a chance to win a, one of those games. 
Um, we will be recording that episode next week. So you got about a week. Uh, when you listen to this, you probably have about four or five days, plenty of time. And yeah, just get in there, do it. Just do it. <laughs> and this is episode 350. So this is, of course, one of the big episodes. And one of the biggest episodes each and every year is our listener feedback episode. And this is kind of like the brother, sister, cousin to it, which is the listener's top 20, right? So we certainly want to hear the games that you love and that are in your top 20 because, again, we want it to, you know, spread the love out there. And the more that we know about your stuff, the more we can talk about it. And, again, it's a lot of fun. You listen to all of our games all the time. I want to hear your games. Come on. Seriously. What? what come on. Hear your games. Get your games out there. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. You know, we might, uh, we might, you know, shower your games with praise. And we might rag on a couple. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. But it's definitely, definitely, definitely a great episode. So um, next week's episode, 350 listeners, top 20. Again, a lot of fun. All right, Anthony. So that's what's going on with our listeners. And again, if you would like to be able to drop your games in there for a chance to win a game, obviously Facebook, Twitter, BoardGamersAnonymous.com. And we're pretty much everywhere else, uh, thanks to Anthony. So if there is some other place you would like to see Board Gamers Anonymous, let us know. I don't know. Maybe we'll come to a town near you if that's <laughs> if that if that's something we need to do or whatever the the most immediate social media thing happens to be at that time. So uh, yeah, let us know. We'll hit you up. We'll get to you. And again, a lot of fun. And again, thank you especially for hitting us up and dropping all your fun stuff on the table. All right, Anthony. So that's what's going on with our listeners. Let's talk about uh, the games that we want to get to the table. And maybe they do too. Who knows? It might be in their top 20. Oh my God. <laughs> what are your acquisition disorders, man? Acquisition disorder this week. It's It's been a little while. I've been uh-huh. honestly kind of avoiding Kickstarter. Uh, oh, no. I, I know last week <laughs> I talked like about a $10, $10 game. But uh, this week I have a, another small game that's Decently expensive, despite how small it is. Um, <laughs> it's Senjutsu Battle for Japan. So uh-huh. this is a game, a one to four player game about the Sengoku period in Japan, which is also known as the Warring States period, the 150 years or so after the Ashikaga Shogun, it fell apart when all the warlords were vying for power in Japan, right? So it's what we think of when we think of samurai riding off and fighting in battle against some other clan um, mm-hmm. is that like 150 year period uh, typically like medieval Japan. Yeah. And so Senjutsu is a game about individual samurai clashing with each other on this little hex map. So when you first look at it, when you look at the top, you like, you see the miniatures, there's four like beautifully crafted miniatures and you see what mm-hmm. looks like a big box Yes. And then you scroll down a little bit and you see it's actually like, you know, a one foot by one foot board and just the four miniatures and these little tiny boards. And it's a relatively abstract looking game, uh, like card driven kind of um, abstract combat. And there's not a lot of artwork on those cards. And you're like, wait a second. Is this not a giant miniature game? (laughs) (laughs) Which is what I went through when it first went up on Kickstarter a couple days ago. I was like, huh? Yeah. This is not at all what I was expecting. And it's not at all. So Senjutsu is 
a 15 to 20 minute fighting game. Uh, you will be one of the four samurai on the board and you will use um, these cards that are in a, a deck that you've created. Uh, every deck is going to be unique with different types of attacks and blocks and meditations and, and all these different things that you can utilize. And you're trying to defeat the other samurai on the battlefield, right? So you put your put your samurai out there. You draw your hand of cards. There's like it's a 40 card deck, I think is what it says. Um, choose a card, play it, reveal the cards. Everybody acts, right? First person to survive all that, I guess the last person to survive all that, um, the is the winner. So it's basically you know kind of this hidden movement. Uh, style thing where you're like you're putting something out and your person's going to move around and and take various actions. Everybody else is doing the same thing at the same time, and you see who comes out on top. So very 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 tactical. It honestly in the past this is the kind of game that would have had just like little wooden tokens and you know artwork free cards, and mm-hmm. that would have been the whole game. Um, sure, it is still kind of that, but with four miniatures. Um, <laughs> And for that reason, the deluxe version of the game is $68. Now, in Kickstarter money, you're like, whoa, $68? bucks? that's nothing. But in considering what the game actually is, sure. you're like, well, so you've got standing <laughs> opponents for the, yeah. you know, the, the solo opponents. You have 3D terrain, bamboo forests, <laughs> and cherry blossom trees. You have different types of battlefields. Um, these are all like some of the stretch goals that they've unlocked. And so if you want the deluxe version, you get all that extra cool stuff. <laughs> it's almost 70 bucks plus shipping. If you just want the basic game with the core gameplay, it's 49, which is still a little high, but at least closer to what you kind of expect something to cost in 2021. Um, and then there are other miniatures that they've thrown in as add-ons. So you can get like different characters. They have different decks and stuff. So there's an assassin. Um, there's an, Ashigaru, which is one of the enemies. There's a monk, a sailor, uh, Yasuke, the retainer, the Yojimbo. Got to have the Yojimbo. Um, sure. There's a ninja, which thematically doesn't <laughs> necessarily make sense, but he's there. So <laughs> you can pay to have your miniatures ink dropped, which is like a cool effect if you've never seen it, like that Awakened Realm sometimes uses. Um, it's very pretty. It's a lot of really cool looking stuff. I like the look of the mechanics. I like these like quick tactical combat type of games um, that are almost chess-like, but it's just funny. It's it's just Kickstarter being Kickstarter where they're like, hey, let's take a very cool abstracty type of mechanic and slap some miniatures in it and charge you 70 bucks. So um, it's on my watch list. We'll see. We'll see what ends up being on there. It has a solo mode, so I kind of want to check it out. But uh, Senjutsu, Battle for Japan. Yeah, I, I think that you you nailed it. I, I think it, it's a very, you know, going to the Kickstarter page, it's a very weird campaign. It's one of those things where it's like, hey, let's make literally everything a stretch goal, right? So yeah. it's like almost like 35 pages long. You like there's endless amounts of scrolling through everything. And like you said, it's 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 a fairly abstract kind of chess-like, you know, battle royale kind of game. And you're like, oh, okay. I got it. So no, no. Why are you here? <laughs> it's like <Yeah. laughs> for all of your monies, and you're like, oh no. So I, I think it's a little confusing as far as the Kickstarter is concerned. I, I really wish that they would pull it back a little bit. I wish they would rein it in a little bit. But as you mentioned, it, it seems to be a fairly competent game mechanic. This is on, 
I think it's on tabletop simulator or something. So you could possibly have an opportunity to try this out. It does have a, a seamlessly endless number of videos on it. But again, I don't, I don't think that in this case, it's the videos or even the miniatures. I think it's that the cards here, the cards really are where it comes to play. You could, you know, whether you play a solo or two player or whatever it is, the one thing that always bugs me about Kickstarter, I kind of get it, but you know, since Kickstarter more and more these days is just, you know, a marketing distribution platform, they did an early bird. I really don't like early mm. birds that have limited number of, you know, awards available. And that kind of bugs me. It's because like, hey, you want to back this game, but you were like 15 minutes late. Cool. You know what? How about paying like $19 more? And I'm yeah. just like, I don't feel good about that. Like this one thing, if you buy yeah. something retail or you buy something after Kickstarter and you have to, you missed it completely, but it just bugs me. It's not a big deal. Like you said, it's, it's one of those things where, you're getting what hopefully will be very cool miniatures. You're, and again, the gameplay, at least with the cards and the kind of things, like it's, again, it's what Kickstarter does. It's what it does. So, yeah, no, that's cool. Um, I have a, not I wouldn't say a similar campaign, but I do have a, I guess, an overly upgraded kind of campaign myself. This is Marvel Dice Throne. Become your favorite Marvel hero in this fast, an exhilarating game of skilled card and dice play. I disagree with the skilled part of it. I mean, no <laughs> offense to dice throne, but it's literally throwing dice. So maybe not so much skilled, more like luck. Uh, so probably many of you out there have played dice throne. I've played dice throne several times. Anthony, have you played dice throne? Uh, only at a convention. I've not actually played it significantly sure. enough to have any opinion about this whatsoever. Other than the artwork is cool. Yeah, Dice Throne has been a game that's kind of been circling around me for several years. In fact, I, I think I think you and I I wanna I wanna say it was Gen Con. I think it was Gen Con. I think you and I way back in the day had seen this when it first came out in the convention. And really the thing that mm. really kind of spoke to me was the idea that this game, the art design. The art design really stuck out, and it was just something like, oh, this is really cool art design. Really interesting characters, custom dice. But basically what it came down to was you got a character, really nicely illustrated character, and like right in the middle of the board. And then on the left and the right of it, it had options for your dice rolling. So when you would roll your dice, uh, kind of like Yahtzee-esque, you get three opportunities to re-roll your dice. And then you match it up based upon some ability on your particular board. And then you do that ability. Now, the whole game is really, again, we could have done this on our Squid Game episode. This is very hmm. much, you know, last person standing kind of situation because what you're trying to do is knock out the other person or the other team. So you roll your dice, you get your abilities, you upgrade your abilities with cards, and then there's other cards that kind of come into play. But basically, it's kind of King of Tokyo in a way, you know, like, it's again. It's really a beautiful art design that uh, I've I've really admired. That I, I spoke to the artist way back when, and I, I didn't know it was the artist. And I'm like, this artwork here, this is fantastic. I really like the, the characters and everything here. He's like, I did that. I'm like, oh, awesome. So they had a season one, and then they came back and they did a season two, and I think that kind of bummed people out because it was kind of a revised thing. 
and it was packaged better. So that was a little thing. And I think on Kickstarter, they had an adventure version of this where you could actually take your characters out adventuring, which financially did well, but I, I have not played it. I did not hear the best things in the world about it. But I do appreciate the idea that they try to do something different with their gameplay. So, as expected, Marvel Dice Throne is Dice Throne again. Character, sideboard, left and right, that has the special abilities. You roll the custom dice that match your character, and then you do a thing. So, they have Miles Morales, Spider-Man. They have Loki, Thor, Captain Marvel, Doctor Strange, uh, Black Panther, um... I guess Wanda or Scarlet Witch, depending on, and obviously uh, Black Widow. So that's your that's your lineup here for the full kind of set. It's currently on Kickstarter, and there is just again, it's it's not a very complicated game to kind of explain or play itself. There is only one backer level here that that I can at least see at this point. I think there might be I think there was something else here, but the battle chest. That's really what you want, which comes with all of the characters. In that one box, it comes with the promos. And Anthony, I think this is the thing that's going to push you over the edge a little bit. Because if you do back the campaign, not do not only do you get the uh, the bonus promo cards, which is kind of cool. I, I, I'm a man who likes his promo cards. But you could get a zinc metal Mjornir hammer. <laughs> that comes in the game, man. They put it in the game. I don't know why. All right. That. All right. See? I, I know. Yeah, no, it's good. I yeah. I don't know. This is cool looking. I would totally pick this up at like Target for 30 bucks if it had like four yeah. of these characters in it. I'm not spending $100 on this. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, for what's basically glorified Marvel version of King of Tokyo, just not going to do it. It is. Well, they're going to it's going to come out in retail and next year Q3. And for four characters, at least I'm look what I'm looking at here, the retail version of it for Scarlet Witch, Thor, Loki, and Spider Man is fifty bucks, and then mm. the other two character pack ons are another thirty bucks. I don't know. I I I think if this is something that you if you like Dice Throne, and and again, um, I've always looked at this, and I've always been very tempted buy this because I did like the idea. It's so colorful and bright and engaging and customizable and you could throw it down and play and you could play even with teams and things like that. Surprisingly enough, the Marvel thing doesn't push me over the edge. I mean, hmm. maybe the artwork for me doesn't really click like it does with the, you know, the I guess their own character sets. This one, it, it does look like the characters, but not enough that I'm like Oh, cool! That's a character that you know I'm, I connect with and things like that. To be honest, so right. I'm looking at this. I don't think the eighty-four dollars is crazy. Again, because you are getting a lot in the box. If this is your thing, you still have twenty days to go. By the time we're recording this on Monday, so by the time you listen to this, you're probably about fifteen or fourteen days or something to go. Uh, yeah, Marvel Dice Throne. It's dice throwing. It's really cool characters that you might know. Um, I'm a little kind of in the middle with it because honestly, like I have Marvel United, so I don't know if I need to have both kind of light Marvel games, mm. but this is another one in case you like it and it's up right now. Yeah, no, it, it looks cool. I'm, I'm sure my kids would be all about it, but yeah, I also have Marvel United and I have Marvel Champions, so it's 
unlikely I would go near this, but if you end up backing it, I will play with you. <laughs> <laughs> it hasn't it hasn't gotten me yet. I don't think it'll get ah, me okay. by the end of the episode, but uh this is like a standalone project. You know, it's not going to be like stretch goals for days. It's just not that thing here. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see what happens next week. Join us next week as we find out if Chris actually backed the Kickstarter project. He's in serious credit card debt. I'm just saying. All right. Cool. All right. So let's get on to our games that hit the table this week, Anthony. Now, this week was a little different than our normal weeks because it wasn't a game that hit the table. It was a game that hit the tablet or the computer um, more specifically. And you were the man who brought it to the computer. So why don't you let us know what was the game that you and I played this week? We played Ultimate Railroads. Which yeah. is the big box, repackaged, more expensive version of Russian Railroads with all of the expansions jammed in from Hans of and Gluck, presumably from <laughs> Z-Man or Asmodee here in the States, but they haven't announced when. And they did everybody, you know, a, a nice thing over Essen weekend, and they posted uh, Ultimate Railroads along with the Asian Railroads expansion on Board Game Arena. So get a chance to play that, which is pretty cool. Yeah. So it is, it's more Russian railroads. So <laughs> well, well, let's, let's talk about that first. What is Russian sure. railroads for the people who don't know what Russian railroads is? Because there's a reason why a lot of our listeners out there may not know what Russian railroads is, right? Yeah. Yeah. So this is a game that came back out, out back in 2013 and has been mm-hmm. out of print now since 2016, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a Z-Man release. So of course they don't reprint anything. And the game by itself, the original game, um, was designed by Helmet Orglate, which he's he's done a lot of train games, a lot of like 18xx type of games. He's also done lighter games. One of our favorite games, First Class. It's another one that's kind of built off of this. But the basic idea here is not so much the trains. I mean, that's the theme, but the snowballing of various mechanics based on worker placement. So you have some workers, you have tracks on your personal board. And you have rails that move along those tracks. And with your workers, you take actions that are going to get you movements of those rails, new trains to reach where those rails are going to, and industry marker movements on your factory track, which will allow you to take various special actions from the factories. At the end of every round, wherever you have all of your markers will determine how many points you get for that round. And then you score those, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Those markers don't move, so every round, the amount you're scoring goes up. So the first Mm. round, you might score 5 to 10 points. Second round, maybe 20. Third round, maybe (laughs) around 30 or 40. By the sixth round, you might be scoring 100, 150 points. Crazy. Talk about, you can get a huge amount of points. It's snowballs and snowballs and snowballs until you get, you know, prior to our game yesterday, my high score in this game was like 475. So very high. That's the basic core of Russian Railroads. The original game was not perfect. I loved it because I like that snowballing mechanic. I like worker placement, but it was a game that felt almost solvable because everything was static on the board. There were, there were always best actions to take. So they introduced German Railroads, which was an expansion for that, that added variability to the player boards. It added the coal mechanic and it added a solo mode by far one of the best expansions for a Euro game out there, right? Yes. And that one had a print in about six months. So yep. if you if you didn't buy it when it came out, which I did, but Chris did not, 
and you could not get it. <laughs> so um, very upset, very upset because it's it was the best one, right? And then they had the American Railroads expansion, which I think was mostly available in the U.S. on the Board Game Geek store, and was relatively it. easy to get for a while. Like that one yeah. wasn't quite as bad. No, and that added like a side stock market thing, which not as good as German Railroads. Fun and different, but like German mm-hmm. was like the core. So, anyways, backing up to where we are now, Ultimate Railroads. It brings in Russian railroads, it brings in German, it brings in American, it brings in the small promos and mini expansions that have been released over the years. Everything that's ever been released for Russian railroads is in this box. And then they decided, hey, just because we want everybody to buy this game again, if they already have it, let's add another expansion, Asian railroads. And then, hey, just in case people are going to ask us to release Asian railroads separately as its own expansion... Let's make a few small changes that make that not possible. <laughs> so um, they've changed the colors of all the rails. So it black, gray, brown, beige, and then white. And now it's beige, green, brown, silver, gold. I don't know why. There's probably a good reason. Maybe there there's not. And we're just being cynical. <laughs> I'm I'm cynical, so <laughs> well, you're you're being optimistic that there is a good reason. Yeah, I don't know. We were trying to figure it out. Like maybe it's a colorblindness thing. Maybe it's like something else more complicated. Maybe it's just they want more money. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, which is annoying because there's no reason for it that I can see. They, they also they removed. Have, can I say something? No, they have a reason on their website, and again, it, it goes back to like I think you and I talked about this about. The, their Marco Polo, maybe this is this the rationale for it with the black dice about purchasing black mm. workers and something like that. And that that is a very understandable, you know, considerate scene kind of thing. I don't see that here. I think this is, I mean, again, like you said, I'm being cynical. You're being optimistic. My cynical <laughs> nature says they just really, they want to, they want you to buy the base thing game again. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I'm just, it's just me. I don't know. You know, I'd like to be optimistic I mean, on it. I mean, the result of all this is that you, they're like, oh, we couldn't release Asian Railroad separately because you wouldn't have the right pieces. Like, yes. yeah, sure. Thanks, guys. <laughs> um, so there's that. Asian Railroads then mechanically. So we'll just talk about the expansion here because that stuff separately, like if we want Ultimate Railroads, it's going to be a $100 box. I probably won't back it or buy it because I have everything else and this is just one expansion and paying a hundred dollars to one expansion is a little too much. But if you have none of that stuff and a lot of people don't because it hasn't been available forever, you know, that is an option coming soon. Asian railroads does two things. One, you get a new board, which all these expansions introduce, uh, Mm -hmm. which the top track of the board, typically the longest now very much the longest instead of going to 15. Now it goes to 21, I think, or 22. Mm -hmm. Uh, it adds construction sites. So in the base game and, and most of the maps, you can have two trains on the first track and then one each on the second and third track. Mm-hmm. Now you can do three, two, one, but two of them on the first track and one on the second track is under construction. So you have to get to a certain point on these various tracks, take certain actions to unlock those trains or the, unlock the ability to place a train there even like the train you get separately. Um, the trains now go up to tens because there are more train options. And then the, the big, big change is you, they removed the factory track from individual player boards and they have a central board. 
So the central board, you're you're moving around still and you're going up and getting points that will score at the end of each round. But then there's also like these little pit stops along the way, kind of almost like um, Great Western Trail where you're like you're you know, parking on the way around the track uh, to, to use the factory. And then it comes with some pre-printed ones. And so when you build a factory, you're going to build over the pre-printed one and you activate that thing you just covered up. You also have the chance to activate one of your wagons, which is a new mechanic or piece that you get to use. And then the wagon will go to that factory location. And as soon as somebody passes the factory or stops there, it will activate your wagon. So basically it goes from on its side to standing up. And then you can use that as an action in the future to activate that factory yourself. Essentially you're programming actions for the future. So you can build a factory, get a bonus from it, throw down a wagon and then come back later and use the new factory that you just built. Um, there's also more bonuses around this track in general. There's some coins out there. There's um, the light bulb tokens. There's a train that you can pick up. So a lot more options here uh, moving around this track. Um, that combined with the addition of you know new types of bonus cards and then the kind of more open nature of the player board resulted in banana scoring. <laughs> so... Um, I like I said that my highest score I'd ever gotten before in this game was 470 something points uh, with German railroads using the coal, I think. And last night playing this on Board Game Arena, when we went through it again, I broke 600, so a full hundred plus points beyond that. And Chris, your score was like 425, right? Or 450? Yeah, it was up there, 452 or something like that. It was, it was crazy high too. And I and I think I have not played the game as much as you did. But I was, I mean, that was another 150 points at least higher than ever I've ever scored. And, you know, again, it's one of those situations where the beauty of this game is the fact that you are regimented on a rail to actually do certain things in order to be able to do other things. But the snowballing effect, and as you mentioned, Anthony, the cumulative scoring throughout the game is a lot of fun. That you get to see, like, oh, I scored this many points. This round I scored this many points. This round I scored this many points. Like, it really is a lot of fun. And yet, I think we've gone to a point where we've pushed a threshold to the point where it's just, like, it's it's incalculable. You just can't do the calculations yeah. at the table to figure out, like, I could go here and do this thing, and it'll score me. Like, just the number of choices and the numbers of just a basic arithmetic you have to make over and over and over again. I mean, six, I mean, Anthony, that was, again, you, you, you've played the game a lot. I, I'm sure that's not, not going to be your top score. I'm sure you'll hit 800 at some point, you know, like I, I'm <laughs> sure that like now that you know, like what are the best, you know, actions and what the best tracks and how to build in that kind of order, I think you're going to top 800. I, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I don't know where this thing would cap out, but it's it's definitely, I don't know. It's a funny thing. Like you talked about, like, is this too much? I love snowballing games. I love Euros yeah. in general where you build up and you build up and you build up. And then the game has to end right before the point at which you'll run out of things to do, right? Yeah, yeah. If you hit the end of multiple tracks, then it's not going to work. It's one of the yeah. reasons I didn't like Tapestry, right? We talked about Tapestry sure, I guess, sure. a couple of years ago now is in that game, every time you play it, or every time I played it, I got to the end of two or three of the four tracks. 
And then for the last four or five actions, I'm just like, I don't know. I guess I'll do this. Yeah. They're, they're anticlimactic. It's not fun because you don't, you don't feel like there's a diversity of options that got you to where you are. And you're like, okay, I could try this something different next time. This Asian railroads expansion is right on the line. (laughs) Like, yeah, I got to the end of the industry track in the sixth round. I got my gold rail though, in the fourth round. So I got it up like five spaces on that top track with all the doublers on it. I got two tracks completely completed. I had, I don't know, 210 trains. I had all the trains. I had all of my light bulb tokens out and we played it online. So I know we didn't play it incorrectly unless the beta is broken. Who knows? So it's not even like, oh, we maybe we messed it up and we got crazy good scores. Like, no, this is how it was supposed to go. (laughs) And so I don't get that sense of like, oh, okay, I just missed it here and I didn't quite get this. The, The tightness wasn't quite there. It was like a blue ocean type of thing of like, I can do all these things and I'm going to score all the points because of it. Yeah. Um, which is fun, but for some reason, not quite as satisfying when the game's a little bit tighter. If that makes sense. It's it's like a co-op game that you can beat almost every time. And that's mm, strange yeah, yeah. enough. It's not fun. And yeah. even for me who doesn't play the game other than, I mean, I have a copy of Russian railroads still in shrink wrap because I never got German. So I never brought it out since way back when, but yeah, I mean, I got all my light bulbs. I did the industry track way, way in advance. I, I honestly yeah. thought the game was ending sooner, but I, I spun that track. And again, there, you know, there's no real competition for really much of anything throughout the game. So you're really running your own game other than there's, again, just like the original game, there is still a better first, second kind of spot. But beyond that, it's just almost an annoyance. It's just like, oh, I didn't get to push this track. Okay, well, I'll do one of the other five things that are available to me. And I think one round I had like six coins, which (laughs) should not have ever been a thing. And I'm just like, I move a track, I move it. Because I ran out of things, because I I had so many many workers and so many coins that I I could constantly spam actions throughout the game. And it's just like, all right, now that I know what what the best bonus cards, how to kind of maximize certain tracks and things like that, I'm just like, it's kind of solved, you know, like, again, it's always going to be a race when you, when you're playing at the table, but even, I think the, I think one of the things, Anthony, we have to kind of really focus on here is the new industry board, because instead of having an industry track on the bottom, as you mentioned earlier, you have this general board, which everyone utilizes. It's not great for small numbers of players because you're not able to kind of like kick it into action or have the overlap as much if you did have a large number of players at the table and also it's not fun, but you also, again, there's no competition. Like when you play Nippon, you are, you know, there is good technologies and services that you want to be able to put into play and you fight for those, you know, and it's very, it's, it's very um, tight process as far as getting the materials you need to be able to do that here. You're just kind of running around the track. There was like, you know, when you play Russian railroads, at least the initial, I used to, I love the industry track and I used to just run up there and like then do a track, right? But it was fun because it was a thing, but it was also very tight. Like you can't, maybe you could do two things, maybe kind of, but here you could kind of do almost everything. I think you could do, yeah, you could kind of run everything to, to where it needs to be. So it's interesting. Again, it's something that I'm sure as a Russian railroads and especially a German railroads fan, I want this, right? I want to be able to do everything. I want all the resources. I want all the funds that go along with this. 
But I do think it's one of those situations where at some point there is a serious diminishing return. And when you get to 400, 500, 600, 700 points, then it's just sloppy. I I just find it sloppy. I mean, again, (laughs) if you could do all those calculations in your head, God bless. Like I'm down with that. I, I respect and appreciate that at some point it just doesn't become fun to me because if I have to, if I have to like count, like, you know, point and point and point, I really don't want to do it. I want to do the fun things that thematically, you know, make sense. And those things should be scoring me points. So I don't know. Like I thought this was going to be the end all definitive ultimate, you know, pun intended uh, version of Russian railroads. But I, I, I got to go back to the German one. I think yeah. the German one just like it gives you enough wiggle room that you don't feel choked from having to take the absolute right ac- action in the right order. But this one is just kind of the opposite. <laughs> it's just like you get to do everything. I'm like, eh, all right. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I wish the thing is, is I don't think I would bring out Asian railroads to play with other people. Um very often because it's going to take a long time like the combos like you mentioned this like you have to think a lot more because they're the combos end up being like five six actions deep and that it just takes a long time people are going to get stuck like you and i both got stuck and we've played this game before i've played this game a bunch and i still got stuck a couple times being like okay if this then this then this then this then this crap no this then this then this then this and it just makes the game take a lot longer than it should like, I feel like this is a game arena. that you should be able to play in two to three hours, and it took us yeah. three to four hours. Which... And that's a board game arena. That's with the yeah, computer yeah. helping <laughs> us along the way. I'm just like, you would have forgot things. Like, Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's too long. So I don't know what that will turn out to, like three to four people physically playing at the table, but I have to oh, imagine no. this becomes a four-hour game, like which is way too long for a worker placement game. So I don't think I would bring this out physically. I would love to play Asian Railroads solo, though, because I love games like this that play solo with all these different combos because it makes me feel you just get those dope that dopamine hit when you pull off a combo and you're just doing it by yourself. So if it takes too long, you're constantly playing. Right. That would be great. But there's no way for me to do that without spending one hundred dollars. So I'm probably not going to pick it up. If I was going to play this with other people, it's going to be German Railroads anyways. So I'm happy with what I already own. Um, which is a shame. I was really excited that this was coming out and people will be able to get it and have all the content. Yeah. It's going to be high quality release. And I just, I can't justify it. You know, maybe they'll overprint it and it'll be half price at some point, but for a hundred bucks and that's not even, we don't even know if that's the final price. That's just, it's 85 euros. So I'm assuming a hundred dollars, maybe it'll be more. Um, I just, I, I don't know, you know, and this is like in my top 20 games of all time. And I'm still just like, I don't know. <laughs> so, yeah, it's really hard for me because I don't own German railroads. I do own American railroads and obviously Russian railroads. But like I said, it's been in shrink wrap since I bought it. I bought it on sale at some point because like I, I always liked the game. But like I said, playing Russian railroads was you played on a rail. Like there was always a first, second, third, fourth best choice. And, you know, which is not the end of the world or not the worst thing in the world, but German Railroads really opened the game up. And when I couldn't get that, the idea that this set was coming out, I was excited about it, especially since Asian Railroads was coming out with as well. I had assumed, like, if Russian was the base level, 
and then German was a little more complex, Asian would be like really complex. It's not more complex at all. I didn't, I was never mentally challenged at all with the game. It was just a matter of like, was I going to take the appropriate amount of time to do the math to maximize my points? And honestly, the answer is no. (laughs) I'm not going to do that. (laughs) Like, I honestly like lost track of how many rounds we had left. And I'm just like, it's not. You know, it's not like, again, I know you're not a big fan of Agricola, but it's one of those situations where in Agricola, you become so invested in feeding your family and meeting the special conditions that you do like overly focus and like really bear down on the cards. Here, I never felt that way. Here, I never felt like, oh, I need to ensure that I get the maximum number of points. But if it's if it's difference of hundreds of points, what does it matter? You know, like right. there's just there's just nothing to it. I would rather it be the opposite way. Give me an incredibly painful version of it. Like make Asian railroads down to the point where like you only can score a hundred some odd points at most. Right. It's like, it's the most difficult railroad to build. So again, to each its own, I think, I think people will enjoy this, but again, I think I agree with you, Anthony. I'm not sure who plays, I'm not sure who plays Asian railroads other than a solo version. Right. Because I feel, and maybe you feel, that German is the definitive version of this, and so you're going to play that, right? It's a little more complex than Russian, so if you really want to get a good game night together, you're going to play with German railroads. American is neither here or there. It's kind of like it's there if you really want it, but yeah, you can't you can't play this with you can't play Asian railroads with first time players because they're going to get consumed by all the options. It's not hard. It's just consumed. And again, if someone's played it a lot, they're going to be able to wax you up and down the board. But you also need to play with a lot of players so you have all the actions available to you. And yeah. so that the and that, that co-op board that you're all using is actually like fun and engaging, yeah. right? Oh, you covered over the action that I had set up to, for me to do and you got the bonus off of it. You dropped your thing there. Like – you want to have multiple players in that. So you're not going to play it as a small player count. So I honestly never thought I would say this, but I'm going to skip out on Ultimate Railroads. I mean, it's not a full review because I haven't played the physical copy. Maybe like you, Anthony, if this came down to like, you know, some sort of like radically cheap price, maybe 60 bucks, I'd pick it up. But nah, I can't. I mean, I can't. I mean, I feel bad. I, I really wish I had German Railroads, but... I guess if I had that itch, I'm going to open up Russian. Yeah. Well, hopefully with this coming out, other people will sell off their old versions with German and you can get that and you don't have to worry about this. So, um, yeah, I'm with you, man. Like if, if you're out there and you don't own any of this, this is the only way to get any of that content. Russian railroads with German railroads is still, again, in my opinion, one of the best games of all time. It's in my top 20. Is it a hundred dollars? Good. That's up to you. I don't, I don't know. It'll be hard to like judge that without seeing the physical components and what they put in the box. But sure. I love it. If I didn't own any of this based on what I played before, I probably would buy ultimate. I agree. I, I, I think if I didn't own any of this, but I had a chance to play it, I would buy it. I would, I would buy it, but I have Russian. And again, like you said, maybe I pick up German, but uh, again, right. it's, it's what, you know, what gets to your table, like you said, as far as, but I, Anthony, I think that's a really smart observation. Like again, Asian railroads as a solo play where you could just go crazy. 
and you yeah. could just throw yeah. you could throw everything at the wall and just be like eight hundred points. You're like, Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> took four hours to do, but eight hundred points. So maybe they just need to throw a bot in there and just call it a day. But anyhow. Uh, if you would like to learn more about Russian railroads or German railroads, our review of Russian railroads is our feature review on episode 32. So way, way, way back, back in the day. If you'd like to learn about German railroads, that's episode 116. So uh, two reviews to go back to those games. As you heard, from Anthony and I said, we both love both of them. They're both good. Not as high for me as for Anthony, but German Railroads does certainly move it up. I think German Railroads has been in my top 100. So there you go. All right. So that's the games that hit in our table and our tablet. Anthony, guess what, my friend? It's the feature review. Let's uh, do it. The feature review this week is certainly an epic feature review from book to board. It's all about Dune. So, Anthony, again, ever so briefly, if you would not mind, could you, again, give us a brief, you know, I don't know. It's so it's so hard to say brief when you talk about Dune. <laughs> but can you mention a little bit about what Dune is, you know, and, uh, you know, where we're at? Uh, man, you just watched the movie. Making me summarize Dune. Dune of all things. I, okay. Okay. 1965. <laughs> Frank Herbert. <laughs> Uh This crazy Uh madman, this madman, absolute crazy person. Um, He wrote, and in in my mind, this book is crazy long. It's really not that long. It's like 500 pages. It's just really, it's a lot going on. Um, So this is a science fiction book. It's, you know, it it draws on a lot of the the things that people were writing about in the 60s and 70s. Um, You've got like a distant future. It's far away. And all these different noble houses are controlling their own little fiefs on these different planets. Um, enter Paul Atreides. Uh-huh. Uh, so, and he's, his family now is basically running the planet Arrakis, um, which is by all accounts, a complete wasteland, but, but it's the only place that you can find melange or spice. We talked, mm-hmm. you've got to have the spice. So, it's obviously home to a lot of different factions vying for this powerful, powerful thing. Um, and then the book does 600 other things that hurt my brain. If I try to <laughs> pack it all into a three minute description, but essentially it's, it's a book about vying factions, lots of backstabbing and big old worms chasing people away from their spice. So, <laughs> um, and those are the things you see when you're playing this game. <laughs> And that's why I had you do the recap because that was awesome, man. Yeah. Obviously, oh, well. <laughs> obviously for me, I, I came upon Dune from the 1984 film from David Lynch. My dad thought this was a good idea because I liked sci-fi and I think he did too. And he was like, Hey, Hey son, let's go see a, a movie together. I don't know if you know anything about 1980s film, but the, the idea of like PG films, they could have been like just weirdly rated R just mind kind of messing horror kind of twisting and dune yeah. was one of those films <laughs> um you know it's like definitely one of those traumatizing kind of moments where you're like oh no that's uh yeah that's really out there i love david lynch and i and i have so much affection for dune 1984 i know he doesn't have as much affection for it as i do there's certainly <laughs> some good moments to it obviously having such a great staff you have patrick stewart brad Doff. 
Uh, Max Van Sau, you have Sting in there, man. You got Sting. Yeah. <laughs> Dean Stockwell. And, you know, I mean, again, it's, it's again, it's, it's a, a product of its time. It's a lot of fun. And again, if you like Lynch, this is very Lynchian, but obviously not, you know, not his, not his favorite work, but Kyle McLaughlin's in this. So if you ever watch Twin Peaks, this kind of like reunites the two on a great, you know, adventure. The new film that's that's currently out uh, in theaters or on HBO Max um, is something that I, I think that everyone should take a look at. Again, I mentioned uh, Denise Villeneuve. He's recently produced some of my most, you know, at least modern day favorite sci-fi movies out there at this time. I mean, Blade Runner twenty forty nine, Arrival, Arrival. I, I gotta say, it's like one of my favorite movies of all time now. Like it just is. Mm-hmm. And he's done so many incredible movies, not just those two, but so many other incredible movies that he is a director you do want to watch. And I think he's done a very good job here. I've seen the first movie. Unfortunately, because of COVID, I, I could not get out to the theaters. I really did want to go because honestly, this movie for the visuals and the sounds and it's just it deserves to be in the theater. Again, if, if you can do it safely, I highly recommend seeing it in the theater. That being said, because Dune is such a cultural phenomenon, you know, from its book, from its movies, and there's also been a TV series movie as well, right? I think back on the Sci-Fi Channel, I think way back in the day, uh, it was a thing for five minutes. And and again, Dune is bigger than one book. Dune has a ridiculous number of books with a ridiculous number of history, but it's brilliant. It's subversive. Again, not getting spoilers, but it's a lot of fun. That being said, it may not be filmable. But it definitely has gotten into the board game arena, not board game arena necessarily, but into board gaming <laughs> substantially because Dune, and I guess this is the where we should start off, Anthony, Dune, 1979, was a board game, of course, that went out of print, became a grail game, and was one of these kind of early games that everyone just, again... You know, the kind of joke from the David Lynch films was like everyone had inner monologues. So Dune the board game was kind of those games that people whispered about. Like, this is a great game. If only I could get it. I would control the universe. And it's just, it's fantastic. And I never got to play it because, again, out of print. Super Grail game. Everyone loved it. It was amazing. It changed the industry. It was everything. Anthony, how did it play? Uh, poorly. Oh, poorly. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. So yeah. here's the thing about Dune, uh, 1979, which is the same as Dune 2019, because when they re-released this, when Gale Force Nine finally got the licensing figured out, and they brought Dune back, and they they pulled in all new artwork and its beautiful presentation, they didn't change the game at all. They're just like, here's Dune from 1979, which is a 40 year old game, Ooh. and yeah, and it plays yeah. like a 40-year-old game. Now, I I believe that this has probably created amazing, spectacular, just jaw-dropping gaming moments, especially for 1979. Sure. But at a modern table with modern gamers who had just played mm-hmm. Twilight Imperium two weeks earlier, it was a <laughs> bit of a letdown. <laughs> um, you have your asymmetrical factions. You have your asymmetrical approach to the game. But... It's very, it's very, very much you have to keep track of everybody on behalf of everybody, because if yes. you don't, 
if two or three people get into a thing and somebody else in the corner is just like, doo, 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 I'm just going to move my guy over here. And that's exactly what they did. And the worm came out at the exact right locations for them. And the game lasted, I think, two, maybe three rounds. We were done in 30 minutes. Which, again, I'm sure a lot of people are like, that'd be amazing. It could be this or it could be this. But I only got to take two turns, right? I didn't get to do anything. I got to control the worm and I only got to move it once. Um, so, again, I'm sure this can be amazing. But it's just, it's fiddly and wobbly and creaky and old. And it just is not a tightly designed game because that's just not how games were designed back then. And it did not go well. Uh, so um, I, I've not tried to play it again since. So this is obviously not a review. I'm not saying don't buy Dune. Maybe it's amazing. I don't know. But my experience was not good. And uh, it, you could definitely feel the age of the game through the mechanics, the presentation of the mechanics, and, and ultimately how the game ended. Well, it's, it's unfortunate, again, because, it, again, it was one of those kind of grail games that kind of built its own lore because it was out of print. Right. And, again, when it came back into print, it was not that special, unfortunately. Yeah. And, again, that's kind of sad because I was really interested in playing it, and you got a chance to play it. I was like, oh, no, he's going to play the game. It's great. And, no, not, 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 not at all. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. yeah, and we actually, I think you reviewed this a while back. So that might be something to take a look at if you want more details on, you know, the 1979 or the 2019 version of this. And again, yeah. I'm really happy that Gale Force 9 got it because typically they do a, a rather decent job across the board. But I think that they did, as, as Anthony said, like they did make a tactical error, not, you know, doing something different, so to right. speak. Now, yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, I would like to play this one more time, just so sure. that's not the only experience I have, because I want to know, I want to see what other people see in this game. Like, it still has an 8.2 or an 8.1, sure. I'm sorry, on Board Game Geek. Like, people love it. I want to know why, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. And they have released an expansion, too, which I don't know if this is content that came out before or not. I couldn't find whether it is. Mm -hmm. um, but they've added two new factions and technology tiles and everything that comes with that um, to the game in an expansion that came out last year. So there's more content. There's more stuff. I think there's errata as well, like tweaking the rules a little. So I'd like to give it a go again, if I can find six people willing to, to go through that with me. <laughs> so. One of the things I do want to point out was while Dune was off planet, so to speak, there was a game that kind of replaced and re-implemented Dune, which was Rex final days of an empire which was the TI, was it TI4 at the time, or TI3? It was TI3, right? It was... Uh, yeah, um, 2012 would have been TI3. Twilight, yeah. Twilight Imperium 3. That was This is back in 2012, so yeah, not TI4. So it re-implemented that, and it did a better job. I think generally it has been... I think everyone has said. Again, other than the fact that it's not Dune, which is kind of sad... Because if you're not in, you know, you know, really kind of solidly invested in the in the TI universe, this is really not going to speak to you necessarily, especially if you're a Dune fan. But the mechanics are here in a much better, updated way, which really bums me out because that's all Gale Force Nine had to do was to take this game that's never going to be reprinted. Because again, right, Fantasy Flight. I mean, am I right? Am I right? <laughs> yeah, you are so, right. <laughs> yeah. 
But it's, again, it's a great game. It's out of print as well, unfortunately. I do own a copy of this, surprisingly enough. I got a used copy a while back. But, again, a uh, great game. If you get a chance to play Rex, Final Days of an Empire, it's a good feel for what the original Dune could be if it was updated. So, again, kind of fun. Uh, Anthony, yeah. I don't know if you know about this, but I guess back in the day, which was not that far back in the day, but in fact, there was a kind of dice version of this, Dune the Dice Game. This was something that was like a super big thing for like five minutes. And I remember seeing this because, again, big fan of Dune. And this was one of those situations where it was like Dune, but Dune Express with a bunch of dice. So yeah. <laughs> you could basically kind of print this out on your own uh, and get it to the table. And again, it's it's dice rolling, it's bluffing. You have Arrakis, the planet there. You had all the essential elements that made it Dune. But it was just a quick, fast version of it. It's not the essential Dune, so to speak. But it was a cheap and easy game to get to the table. And back in 2015, it was the best print and play out there. So for a lot of people out there who wanted to get Dune to the table, but again, could not get Rex, could not get the original Dune, and wanted to get something that kind of closely aligned with it, this was a very, very good alternative at the time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's, and like speaking of that too, like it's coming back apparently. So they've, they've rethemed it in the peak oil universe, which is just our universe. I'm pretty sure. Uh, (laughs) And uh, it's a game called the oil must flow. It's Uh. working on right now. So I, th- I think that's funny. I don't know. Are you Maybe. trying to say that, that Dune has messages to today's situations that we're dealing with? <laughs> uh-huh. Maybe. Yeah, and it's definitely funny when you strip away all the subtext and you just tell the joke, right? Right? I know. It's hilarious. <laughs> um, yeah, we should also mention, that. too, before we move on too far, there there is a new version of Dune being made, re-theming the old one again, just like Rex, right? Yeah, yeah. Supposedly, I mean, again, that the fact that the movies come out and it's and it's been somewhat of a hit, and if it does get part two, which it certainly does need, again, I please watch it on HBO Max, watch in the theater. It's a real experience, even if you're if you're not sure if you're really into it, and it's not the horrifying experience I had as a child. So you're fine, you're fine, mostly fine. <laughs> it's kind. Uh, Anthony, above and beyond that, obviously. There's been a lot of other games that kind of popped up recently. I guess in particular, the one that really, I guess, is the Dune game at the time, you and I both have played it, is Dune Imperium that came out right. in 2020. And it's going to get a uh, expansion any day now. Yeah, Dune Imperium uh, came out last year. It's already number 28 all time on the top 100, which is crazy. Um <laughs> And uh, the expansion is supposed to release like now. Uh, yes. I, I don't know if they've started shipping it yet or if it's just stuck on a boat somewhere, but it, it is floating around, should be hitting tables in the very near future. But this is a deck building worker placement type of game, Lost Ruins of Arnok style. Uh, they both came out at the same time, so I guess I don't know which one is the style of the other, but <laughs> you have a hand of cards that's going to influence where you can place workers and, and how you take actions. But with Dune! So, um, it's interesting. I, I know I've played this at low, low player counts and I was fine with it. I don't love the solo mode very much. Two players is not 
great, but everybody says it's best at three and four. So I can't speak to the quality of it. It definitely feels like kind of an evolution of like that clank mechanic, though, that Direwolf is so well known for. Yeah, I've played this with the higher versions. And again, if you'd like to learn or hear our full reviews on Dune Imperium, Anthony played and reviewed it on episode 310. And I played and reviewed it on episode 334. So as you mentioned, Anthony, this is, you know, a deck builder in that kind of same vein as a lot of the other deck builders with a board that we've seen recently. And obviously the designers here from Clank. So basically you get your, you know, your special character that has a unique ability representing one of the different houses in play here. And then you start with a starting hand of cards again, very much you know, resembling the different cast of characters that you, that you come across in the book and or movie. And then your job here is to utilize Arrakis, the different worker placement spots on the board and all the different guilds that are available in order to gain all of the, you know, the spice, the water, all that kind of resources that you need. And then throughout the game, update your deck. So again, the, no spoilers, but very much... What's integral to the Dune story and universe is that very much Game of Thrones thing where there's allies and enemies and back and forth kind of thing. So the fact that you could build up a deck of allies to be able to serve you and provide their special abilities through you throughout the game is pretty fun and pretty thematic. Uh, It does sometimes, you know, challenge you a little bit because the deck is so big, the market doesn't clean out easily or quickly. And sometimes you are building a certain, you know, deck of characters, but they're at the bottom of the deck. And that was part of my review that it was just kind of like, well, that's kind of frustrating. But there is not just worker placement throughout the board, but there is also battling. So you you throw all your cubes in, you, you throw down some special cards. Again, it's a luck of the draw kind of situation, what special cards you get to kind of throw into play. But again... Right now, and I I don't think this is going to be long-term the definitive version of Dune, because again, with the movies out right now, I think, as as we've already mentioned, that we're going to see sequels and re-releases, especially if they actually do come out with the, I guess, reskin, redeveloped Rex version of it. I think that might be the the most Dune-esque, so to speak. But it's a very good version of Dune. I, I enjoyed playing it. Uh, randomness aside and chance aside and just wackiness aside, it's a pretty good game. And it, and it definitely gives you a feel for all the cast of characters that come into play when you know, you're reading the book or watching the movies of Dune. So yeah, a lot of general fun as far as that's concerned. And again, uh, check back with our reviews on that. Cause I think that's a lot of fun as far as that's concerned. So Anthony, again, as we kind of wrap up here a little bit, there is some oddities, right? Cause everyone's trying to get in on Dune. Right, so Dune, House of Secrets. We've talked about this. I still don't understand it. Can you can you kind of help us out there a little bit? Why is this <laughs> <Yeah>. a thing? <laughs> so the thing about Dune and House of Secrets, uh, and it's it's very simple uh, description. Once you know what it is, is they took Detective, a modern crime board game, uh, Portal Games did, which is one of the great all time detective style board games. It's up there for me with Sherlock Holmes. And they stripped out all the interesting parts and they replaced it with kind of wishy-washy lore story stuff from the Dune universe, loosely mapped over to to the movie IP. 
and they made a Dune game out of it. Mm-hmm. And so I have not played it. So I guess I'm being a little harsh in describing it. So I can't, you know, I don't know. I don't know if it's good or not. But by all accounts, not as good as Detective. <laughs> so um, yeah. the thing about Detective is it's it's app-based. And the reason it worked so well in Detective is that not only was there a database that you could go through in the app, but it would send you off to the actual internet to search various things, do research, bring back information, add information into the database and kind of build from that. This is a little more scripted, it seems. And that formula and with the app and the scripting, I don't know how well that would even work, let alone with Dune, where the narrative is so complex, like trying to streamline it into like little pieces to play through in an app on a board game. I don't know. I'm not at all excited to play this, but <laughs> I would be interested if, if any of you all listening have played it and have any opinions, um, good or negative. Uh, but the general consensus is not super hot on it at the moment. Very confusing. Very, very confusing. If you know the book, you understand why it's confusing. I mean, I guess it makes sense as far as some of the things that occur, but it's also very confusing because... The, st- the story is very thematic. To take a part out of it, it's kind of weird. I guess finally, as far as the board games are concerned, Dune, a game of conquest and diplomacy that I think is supposed to come out this year or has come out this year from uh, Gale Force 9 Games, they are looking to do you know another version of this. So again, this is going to be area majority, variable player powers. And again, generally that that's really up and down my line as far as things that I like to play here, but it's a very slimmed down version of Doom. This might be, yeah. again, the definitive version if this is, is this the version of it for you? But again, it's this is the most recent movie version of this, and it's a very tactical, uh, brainy kind of game as far as that's concerned. Yeah, I mean, it's taking that old Dune board game from 1979, stripping yeah. out a lot of the chaff making it designing it. So it only will take up to an hour and trying to balance it out a little bit. I don't know if that works because it hasn't hit broad market. I think they had it at Gen Con maybe so people could play it at Gen Con. Maybe some people were able to bring home copies, but I like that idea. It worked in Rex. Maybe it can work. Although Rex is a much longer game than this. This this says 20 to 60 minutes, which is crazy. Um, Yeah. yeah. It's also fewer players like the original Dune, I think played six. This plays two to four and they say it, runs pretty decently with two players at the two player mode, which would make zero sense in the original Dune to have two players only. Um, So I'm interested to see how it plays because, you know, again, that original Dune is kind of a sprawling, messy thing. If you can streamline it and make it work, you know, the main thing about the Dune game and all the games based on it that's so good is the asymmetry, right? Mm -hmm. Every house is so different from every other house. It's like playing like Marco Polo or something or Twilight Imperium where they're so different and it it just, they seem almost broken how different they are, which is cool. And you want to do that and you want to see what that does. So I don't know. I'd be excited to see what this game does. Cool. And again, finally, Anthony, we do have some video games. Uh, Dune two. Yeah. So Dune two, for those, those who've been around long enough, this was kind of like the RTS that kind of kicked off PC RTS, right? This was the one. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there was an original Dune game, but then Dune 2 came along and they're like, oh, let's try out this real-time strategy thing back in 1992. So before Warcraft or Starcraft or Command and Mm -hmm. Conquer, like all those games that came came out in the 90s, 
shut off from this specific release. So yeah, I don't know that I would want to go back and play it now. <laughs> like no. it's probably not <laughs> great. Um, but the the legacy of the game, you know, and the fact that it's based on the movie, not the book. So it, it's you know it's it's based off of all of Lynch's craziness. A full eight years later, nonetheless. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it's, it's kind of like a weird soft spot. Like I remember playing this and not understanding at all what was happening, but thinking that the ideas behind it were cool. Cause I was like nine years old or I think at the time. Um, and it's just kind of cool to see where it's come from there, you know, especially cause it was not just on the, you know, PC, um, at the time, or I guess DOS, it was a DOS game at the time, but they released this on Genesis too, somehow. So it was yeah. a console game crazy and then it came out dune 2000 which again kind of revamped again the same like westwood studios who made command and conquer which i was a fan of i did play that i did play that rts version of it, it came out i think they even had an ex- i think i want to say they had an expansion i don't know if it would be an expansion or yeah i think it was expansion i don't think it was like downloadable content at the time and it was a fun game it was a lot of fun it was very much in line with all the other rts's especially command and conquer back in the day but it did have those little kind of like cutscenes situations. Yeah. So yeah, those Westwood cutscenes are great. Oh my god, those are the best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bring that back. Uh, so know. bad. It's so bad. It's it campy. So campy. Yep. All right. So again, uh, we hope you enjoyed our from book to board, our examination of Dune and board games. I think again, we talked about several different versions of Dune in board game and in video game format that could bring that whole expanded universe down to the table in a way that's really unique and a lot of fun. And I think that's uh, what we really want to have. We want to have the experience of that firsthand. And again, as Anthony said, there's a lot of different elements to it. And a lot of these different you know games employ some of those different pieces, different times. But I think, Anthony, I think, you know, give it a year or two. Like you said, if they revamp, you know, Rex, ironically, back into Dune, that might do it. Or maybe this expansion from Dune Imperium really does it. I'm not sure. We'll see what happens next. But obviously this movie's going to do big. The second one, hopefully what gets out there and hopefully it does huge because I think that's the big part of the movie. And maybe other movies too. So we might be uh, hanging around Dune and Arrakis for quite some time. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. All right. So that's everything from this week. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you all a seat at the desert planet Arrakis, also known as Dune. Dune. Bye. (laughs) Save your water.
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.